Ladies and gentlemen, a good morning to you. This is John Cameron Swayze in the NBC Newsroom in New York. Over to the deal of the storm area today, the forecast is for better weather, which is encouraging news to many thousands of people. We'll have details of this top subject during the broadcast. Threat of a fuel oil strike in hard-hit New York City increases. Boston's truck driver strike is still in progress. Our direct reports of the morning take us to Washington, to Paris, and to London. More news in a moment, but now your announcer. I'm sure you don't have to be reminded that winter weather makes for bad driving and increases the chances of traffic accidents. The fact is that the accident rate in winter months goes up as much as 50%. And it's easy to figure out why snow and ice on the windshield cut down your visibility. Icy streets and roads make skidding easy. So if you have to drive in bad weather, remember to take every precaution for your safety. Use chains on your tires. Keep your windshield free of steam and frost, and above all, drive slowly. It's easy to take chances, but it's just as easy to be careful. And every chance you take may mean the one accident that will lead to death or injury. The odds are against you if you drive carelessly in bad weather, and caution pays off in safety. Now back to the newsroom. The Weather Bureau says that generally over the storm area, stretching from the Texas panhandle to the east coast, the worst is past. While that is encouraging, it definitely does not solve the problems of thousands and thousands of people in hard-hit areas. The death toll attributed to the storm is high, and the damage will run well into the millions of dollars. Hundreds of communities, particularly here in the east and the northeast, are without electric or telephone service. The estimate is that 16,000 homes in and around New York City are without electricity. What happens in that case? Well, here's exactly what happened in one of them. It's a first-hand report because this is what happened to the suburban Swayze's who are now living in a New York hotel. My son met me in the drive when I arrived home yesterday morning. We'll have to clean up this drive a little more, I told him, so that that uh, fuel oil truck can get in easily. Okay, he replied, but there's not too much of a hurry for the truck now. You see, the electricity is off. Well, here is what that rather bland statement meant. When the electricity goes off, we are without lights, refrigeration, heat, for the furnace ceases to function. The hot water heater also stops functioning, and we have no cooking facilities. So I drained the pipes, the furnace boiler, the hot water heater, put the dog in a boarding kennel, the car in a garage, and we moved to New York overnight, or maybe longer. Like thousands of other families, we'll get back maybe today, tomorrow, or next week. No one knows, not even the electric company spokesman. In the state of New Jersey, which is possibly the hardest-hit area of all in the Northeast, the governor has proclaimed a state of emergency, and in the northern part, armories have been opened with cots available in order that families may find shelter. In New York City, the stock, curb, and cotton exchanges called off today's business, and the Boston and Chicago stock exchanges are also closed. The threat of another snowstorm in New York, it actually started late yesterday, seems past this morning, the storm having blown out to sea. Over the nation, the New Year's snowfall varied from 11 inches in some parts of the Midwest to 26 inches in the eastern Adirondacks. Widespread damage is reported from Pennsylvania, where highways are glazed. This is also true pretty generally in the east and in some other parts of the country. Travel of all types has been disrupted, but rail travel is returning to near normal. In Illinois, damage to telephone equipment alone is being estimated at nearly a million and a quarter dollars. However, no matter how badly off any of the recently hit communities may be, Burlington, Iowa, still is entitled to the unwanted first place in this regard. Burlington is isolated from the world except by shortwave radio, and the city of some 30,000 has been without light and power since New Year's Eve when the storm first struck. 
The threat of a fuel oil shortage because of the threatened strike of tugboat workers in New York City's harbor is a very real one this morning. Agreement satisfactory to the union members has not been reached between negotiators, and the strike deadline is midnight tonight. Continuous sessions will be held today with a city labor representative in an effort to avoid the walkout. This morning, the federal government is moving to aid the people in the southern states struck by the recent tornadoes. The people have already done much to help themselves. The fatality toll now stands at 22, and damage is estimated at a million and a half dollars. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin overnight, 12 firemen were overcome by smoke in a fire which knocked out half the burglary circuits of one supplying company. Incidentally, in that New York fire, which was mentioned in bulletin form during yesterday's broadcast, seven buildings were damaged, several persons injured, and because of foam rubber stored in one of the buildings, it was one of the smokiest fires in Manhattan's history. This morning, a small cannery tender, the Spencer, is breaking up on a rocky shore of the Alaskan coast, and so far, two rescue vessels have turned back because of the weather. A Coast Guard cutter and a Navy tug have had to put in for shelter because they began to ice up while en route to the Spencer. The number of persons aboard the cannery vessel is not known. In the overseas news today, the future of the Schumann government in France awaits the action of the National Assembly which is meeting to vote on the Premier's anti-inflation bill. We're going to have a direct report from Paris in just a few moments in which this will be covered. It may be remembered that Premier Schumann said that an unfavorable vote from the Assembly would mean the end of his particular government. In Athens, it's reported that Greek troops are now tracking down guerrilla rearguard units. These units had stayed behind the retreating rebel forces in an effort to block entry of more government reinforcements into Konitsa. Word from Jerusalem says that Haganah, once referred to as the Jewish underground, but which has now assumed the proportions and activities of a militia, is convinced it can successfully defend the Jewish state. The information comes from one of its officers, who adds that Haganah also feels that such an effort in a partitioned Palestine, though it would be ultimately successful, would take from two to three years and be costly in lives. The UN Security Council at Lake Success will meet on Tuesday to tackle its most recent problem, the Dominion of India, Dominion of Pakistan dispute over the fighting in the princely state of Kashmir. And NBC monitors here this morning that the Pakistan cabinet is meeting to make formal reply to the charges brought by the Dominion of India. Now for our morning travels. First to the capital for Arthur Barrio in Washington. It's pretty early in the morning to begin tossing percentages around, but the old fractions and decimals are playing a very active role in our lives. So today we have the cold fact that on the week ending December 27th, wholesale prices of 900 commodities rose three-tenths of one percent. That's the eighth straight week that the price curves on the wall charts have headed toward the ceiling. And now we stand within two and a half percent of the all-time high of May 1920. Food prices, we're told, dropped two-tenths of one percent the same week, but that still doesn't provide for a display of stakes on the bargain basement counters. And because steaks and chops are still high, Agriculture Secretary Anderson thinks we'll all be asking for meat rationing within the next few months. Anderson hopes that meat and meat alone will come under a new coupon regime, and that meat rationing will cause the prices of other foods to behave themselves. The reasons for high prices of meat? Well, Anderson says there's only one answer, a big demand. Otherwise, this morning we're having the calm before the storm. Congress comes back Tuesday, and House Speaker Martin has caused visions of tax cuts a short-range foreign aid program, and extension of rent control to whirl round our heads. Martin says the House will probably pass a tax reduction bill this month, just to let the White House know what's in the wind. But it's the cinch the Senate won't maintain so fast a pace. 
Echoing Speaker Martin's statements is House Majority Leader Halleck. Halleck told me late yesterday that tax reduction fits right into the GOP program for bringing down high prices. So the Capitol's standing by for action. This is Arthur Barrio in Washington. Now we span the Atlantic to hear from Paul Ashenard in Paris. The political truce which lasted barely through the holidays has ended. Today, the French Parliament is meeting in an extraordinary session which may decide the fate of Schumann's cabinet. For the Premier is determined to ask for a vote of confidence on his financial policy. Early next week, there may be a cabinet crisis in France. The situation has arisen over a debate on the tax plans of the government. Amendments followed amendments in the National Assembly, and Finance Minister Meyer saw his projects lose their effectiveness while the government's majority kept reducing as the days went by. The National Assembly as a whole paid more attention to local interests back home than to a drastic financial plan whose object is to save the fact. On the other hand, the upper house, which is not elected by popular vote like the Assembly, showed greater understanding for the Cabinet's tax proposals. The government has therefore introduced a new tax bill, which is very much like the first project, with the amendment of the upper house included. Schumann will stake the fate of his Cabinet on this new proposal. He will force Parliament to assume its share of responsibility for unpopular measures, and in case of failure, he will throw the responsibility of a cabinet crisis right into the lap of the National Assembly. And now that the $300 million interim aid agreement has been signed with the United States, French financial experts point out that more credits will be required. The interim aid will cover purchases of wheat, coal, and fuel oil, but it will not suffice to import food for cattle, meat, sugar, and various products. This is Paul Archenard in Paris. Next stop, England. Come in, Don Cook in London. In far-off Rangoon, nearly halfway on around the world from London, Burma today becomes an independent and self-governing nation. Meanwhile, here in London, another change of great significance is taking place in the organization of the Labor government's colonial office. The cabinet post of Secretary of State for Burma ceases to exist, and the holder of the office, Lord Listowel, becomes Minister of State for the Colonies. Both changes are examples of the statesmanship of the Labor government's colonial policy, for which Prime Minister Attlee is in the main responsible. Burma is the first nation to declare its independence from the British Crown since the American colonies won the Revolutionary War. Burmese astrologers picked today as the most favorable day by the stars for the independence celebration. The Union Jack will come down from Rangoon Government House, and the Burmese national flag will go up in its place. Then Sir Hubert Rance, last British governor of Burma, will drive in procession through the streets of the city and embark aboard the British cruiser Birmingham for home. Lord Listowel's new post gives the Labour government three ministers to deal with colonial affairs. Though the Union Jack is going down in Rangoon today, the sun still never sets on Britain's far-flung colonial possessions. In Britain's present economic difficulties, the colonies remain a prime asset. One of the three ministers at the colonial office will be traveling in the future to deal with problems on the spot throughout the world, while the other two direct policy from London. This is Don Cook in London. Here in the United States, in the labor news, the first day of the cables workers' strike in four companies appears to have cut down the amount of traffic that is normally handled with the Pacific. However, it apparently did not reduce the flow of transatlantic messages, as the companies say supervisory employees were able to handle all traffic. In Boston, the strike of some 6,000 AFL truck drivers is now in its third day, and there are no signs of settlement. Virtually the only truck traffic is that of food, fuel, and medical supplies. 450 companies are involved. 
In Manila, the gasoline shortage has been eased through an at least temporary settlement of the strike of major oil company employees. An overnight speaker in this country was the Navy's Director of Public Relations, Rear Admiral Felix Johnson, and the Admiral told the graduating class at Annapolis that the public should get all the information possible without violating security. He said, in part, it's up to us to tell the taxpayers what is being done with their money. More news in a moment. Now, your announcer. Is your child's school giving him the best possible education to fit him to do his job as a citizen? In many American communities, the answer is no. For throughout our country today, millions of children are going to school in crowded classrooms, are doing without essential supplies such as paper and textbooks, and in many cases are being taught by poorly trained substitute teachers. Many of the best teachers in our school systems have been so overworked and underpaid that they've left their profession, and their places are filled with inadequate teachers or not filled at all. And the reason for all this? You. As a parent and a taxpayer, simply haven't been paying enough attention to what's been going on. The situation can be corrected if you will investigate the educational conditions in your community and join with community groups to take positive action that needs to be taken if our children are not to be cheated out of the good education they deserve. Now, once again, back to the NBC Newsroom. Near Salem, Oregon, a logging truck crashed through a bridge along a country road, completely wrecking it. And then officials learned that the stork was expected in three homes separated from hospitals and doctors by the missing bridge. So the county borrowed a movable bridge from the state and is making an all-out effort to get it installed. And unless the stork shows an awful burst of speed, they figure they'll make it. In Philadelphia, the city needed new motor cars for official work and advertised for bids with the old city cars offered as trade-ins. They received two offers from dealers who said they would supply new cars and pay additional cash as well. So Philadelphia is buying 258 new motor cars, trading in old ones, and making $10,000 cash on the transaction because the dealers can resell the old trade-ins for such a high price. That's the story, folks. John Cameron Swayze saying goodbye from the newsroom in New York. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.